conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York. Hello, and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. I'm Herschel York, the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and pastor of the Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfurt. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in their ministry. I am absolutely tickled to death today to welcome uh, H.B. Charles to our podcast, and we're going to be talking about preaching and theology with one of my favorite preachers. H.B., uh, welcome. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. Well, man, uh, we tried to arrange this for some time, and <laughs> right. things kept uh, transpiring, <laughs> yep. uh, but uh, the Lord uh, and his providence has brought us together today. You are the pastor, a teacher at the Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, uh, and uh, which is, I guess, in Orange Park, Florida, uh, right? Yeah, if I got that right, is it Orange Park? We meet in two locations. Oh, I got you. Downtown Jacksonville and in Orange Park. All right. And uh, you've been there since 2008? I have. All right. Now, the fascinating thing about your story, though, Mm -hmm. uh, that just absolutely blows me away. You grew up in Los Angeles. I did. And your dad was pastor of? Mount Sinai Missionary Baptist Church. And uh, he died suddenly? He did. He pastored that church for 40 years. 40 years. And he took ill and... Very quickly, the Lord took him home. And I was 16 years old, actually flying home from preaching a youth meeting in Detroit when he passed. All right. At what age did you feel called to preach? As a boy, I would say 11 years old. Mm-hmm. I, it was an irresistible matter. I knew that there was a burden call on my life to preach. My father and the men around him reacted the way I I guess they're supposed to react when the 11-year-old boy says he wants to preach. Um, And they let me do a five-minute thing at the end of a youth musical just to get me out of their hair. Man, I showed up to preach. (laughs) And uh, I've I've been preaching since since a boy, 11 years old. You know, I have a very similar story. Mm -hmm. I was 10. Yeah. And I went in and told my dad, and, you know, I knew – what it was going to sound like. Sure. And my dad, he just said, Hirsch, he said, uh, you know, if, you, if God calls you to preach when you're 10, just say yes when you're 10. <laughs> he said, just get in the habit of saying yes yeah. to God, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll always be in his will. Sure. And, you know, I, I think my dad, he wasn't sure if at 10 that that was going to stick, and yeah. it was what I really, mm-hmm. what God really wanted, but his advice was great. Hey. Was just, just say yes to God. I've been wanting to do it ever since my dad was very overjoyed by my accepting a call to preach he believed that the lord would use my life in that way but he would regularly say that he wanted the lord to call me not him that's right and so he he was if i may say just kind of hands-on and hands-off at the same time in different ways did you have brothers and sisters I did have siblings and um, older siblings and a little sister and only preacher. Really? Yeah. Uh, so when your dad, uh, when the Lord took your dad home, though, what happened? Tell me the, what the church did. Sure. So um, the 
the Lord took my father when I was 16 years old that summer, uh, the weekend of Father's Day, 1989. And a year and a half later, the church called me to be his successor. I was 17 years old, November of 1990. A senior in high school. I was a senior at Los Angeles High School. And I went to the meeting that night to vote. And they mentioned that they were going to take nominations from the floor. But I think they knew that there were people in the church who felt that I should be the pastor. And my name was mentioned. Some people laughed. And at the end of that meeting, I was the new pastor of the church. Wow. <laughs> yes, sir. How big a church was it? It was a. It's an amazing thing. When I was a young man that age, Mount Sinai was considered a big church, uh-huh. more than 500 people on Sundays. You know, yeah. and then over the years, as I served there with the mecca churches, um, we kind of just lived in the shadows of much, much larger churches. But it was more than 500 yeah, people. I, but I don't care who you are. 17 pastors, yeah. a church of 500. Yeah. That's that's amazing. It's a thing, yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and did it go well? I had a wonderful honeymoon because of two factors. Number one, all I wanted to do was preach. And number two, all they would let me do is preach. And the church was growing, but they ran the church. And as I am learning to preach... And as I am teaching God's word, I start raising the questions, why are we doing that? Why are we doing the other? And I think I must have raised the wrong questions about the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And I'm around 21 years old, and it got rough where, uh, to be honest, I took the Sunday school class of a couple of teachers who refused to come to Bible study. This just makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. That you should not be able to teach Sunday school if you want to attend Bible study. Yeah. That was not a logical thing (laughs) in the eyes of some people. And so it created a season of extreme conflict that I didn't think I was going to survive. I did not know church politics. I did not know how to fight. My father's pastorate was a peaceful one. So I had not known this. Uh, And I didn't think I was going to survive, but I did. And the uh, succeeding years were peaceful and joyful, and the Lord drugged me from that church kicking and screaming. But giftedness and calling don't exempt you from problems, do they? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, Gifting and calling. I had old deacons in that church who affirmed my gifts and were determined to put me out. They would. I, I have heard of situations where in protest the pastor gets up, and men walk out. I had just the opposite. They would sit outside in the lobby and plot. And then when I get up to preach, come on in and hear me preach. <laughs> um, they didn't question my calling, my giftedness, my faithfulness to the scriptures. They were just issues of power, control. Leadership. And, yeah. and leadership things. that. Um, but I would say I, I don't talk about those stories often. Um, because I don't want to give the wrong impression. Outside of a few people, I was in a church that loved me. That is how I survived. But I will tell you, I don't also want to give the impression that this is some 
negative, dark season in my life, God taught me how to pray and how to preach and how to lead. I look back and think about those days and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And it's important that there there are guys listening to you right now Mm -hmm. that are in that and they need to hear that, that the Lord uses that to form us to be like Christ. You know, if the son of God learned obedience through suffering, how much more does Herschel York and H.B. Charles how much more do we need to learn obedience it. through suffering? Absolutely. And God uses that. You were there 18 years? I was there 18 years. Wow. Yep. And then you were called to pastor at Shiloh? Yes. Right? My non-theological way of saying called to Shiloh is that the Lord drug me to Shiloh kicking and screaming. Really? Yeah. I I didn't expect that I would be leaving the church that I served. Yeah, because um, your dad had been there his whole life. He had been there. And um, I expected to be there. And I went to preach to fill the pulpit at a vacant church on the other side of the country one Sunday. They were clear. We just need you to fill the pulpit. We are not interested in you. We already have targeted our guy. And I'm good because I don't want to come here. Right. And the Lord had other plans. I'm grateful, though. He had other plans. And, and Shallow had was troubled at the time, right? Well, so I did not want to leave where I was. And if the Lord was going to send me somewhere, I did not want it to be there. Uh The church was uh, going through the aftermath of a moral failure. Mm -hmm. And I remember the men flew out to L.A. because they felt it was the honorable thing that would win me over. They just flew to L.A. and told me all the bad stuff that was going on. They gave me the full story and they finished like, you know, we put all the cards on the table and he's going to. And all of this was just further pres- proof. I didn't want to go anywhere. Did not want to go there. That. No way. And I really the night I knew the Lord was sending me there. I, 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 I wept all night and I, I asked the Lord, what did I do wrong? That is how bad the situation was. I thought the Lord was sending me to preside over the funeral of a church. That's what I thought the future of that church was. And again, I was just gloriously wrong. God had other plans. Wow, praise the Lord. You know, Adrian Rogers told me about, I think it was when he was called to Merritt Island, Uh that he went there and he talked about the trash laying outside the church, grass going up in the parking lot. It just looked awful. And, And he said, I knew, he said, God was calling me there. He, he said there was they were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. And that resonated. The thing that would drive most people away pulled him in. Mm-hmm. They need a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Was it similar to that feeling that the Lord got you there where man th- these people need a shepherd? As soon as I arrived. It was it was my congregation. The Lord made it clear. Just gave you their hearts. And in a connected story, um, once I announced my departure, uh, I recommended really not. I expected my preaching assistant to go to, to Jacksonville with me. I recommended him. The Lord led me to recommend him to the elders and the elders prayed about it and Affirm this. So they are in Los Angeles announcing 
my departure and the vote for the new pastor <laughs> at the same time. And they voted for him to be the new pastor. Eight days after I left, they flew me back to lead the meeting. And I just feel like all of that was God's providential way. Yeah. It right in front of me saying, this is no longer your congregation. Your assignment is in Jacksonville, Florida. And I just went home and to Jacksonville, to the new city he had called me to in the new church. And God, when I think about it, it is Philippians chapter one, where Paul says, I, I hold you in my heart. Yeah. That eighth verse, the Lord just put a church in my heart. The Lord put a city in my heart. And it was almost just immediately that uh, he did that. And how many years have you been there? I am in my 11th year now. You know, I, I watched you preside as the president of the pastors' conference at the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of years ago, yes. and your choir came. Mm -hmm. First of all, oh my goodness! <laughs> uh -huh. Wow, yeah, what a choir! Yeah, but as great as they are musically, mm -hmm. and they are fantastic. What I loved seeing mm -hmm. was their affection for you. Yeah. I just saw the delight they took in their pastor, mm -hmm. the the joy that they had as you presided. Mm -hmm. Man, that, that blesses me. You know, to see a love affair between a pastor and a congregation is one of the most beautiful things outside of marriage itself. Sure. And uh, I get to enjoy that. You've been in my church, and yep. I, I love that immensely. And when you see a pastor enjoy that, it's just a— that's such a happy thing, a providence of God that is so gracious. My mother lives in Oklahoma City, and when she uh, left Los Angeles to go there, she um, was caring for my grandmother. She um, called me and said, I'm going to take a job at a local church as the minister of music. What do you think? And I know a little bit of the story of the church, and I told her that if you can't hang on for five years, because it'll take them five years, for them to begin to acknowledge you weren't the previous guy. Uh, if you can't hold on for five years, then it's not worth you doing it. And I thought about that when I went to Jacksonville, that it will take me years before they'll ever begin to get to accept me. And I, again, was wrong. <laughs> the Lord took me to a hurt but loving people. And um, in a real sense, they, f they felt like the Lord calling me there was his sign that he wasn't finished with them. And they just embraced me and my ministry. And um, with all of the ups and downs uh, that we have had, it has been a blessed experience shepherding that church. How significant, though, would you say that your preaching of the word has been in that needing of your hearts together? the way the Lord has united you, would you say that your preaching of the word is the major factor or something else? It is an amazing thing. Um, I pastored a 17, as a 17-year-old boy, and all they would let me do was preach. And I learned the I picked this phrase up from R.C. Sproul, the power's in the pulpit. Yeah. I'm and the Lord was shaping the church through the pulpit. I sat in the overflow section during church meetings while a moderator led the meeting. But the preaching of his word has shaped it. And 
17 years, 18 years later, the Lord calls me to another church. And in my mind, you know, I'm a young man still, but I have two decades almost of pastoral ministry. But it felt like a reset. I went to a hurting church. They did not trust leadership. And there were internal fights going on. So even though now I'm at a much bigger church and from the outside looking in, you got all these resources and all of this, I was not able to do much. And I preached, I prayed, and I shook hands. And God was working through the preaching of the word. I did not have much say. I would say I was four or five years into my pastorate in Jacksonville before I got the reins of the church to make any significant decision Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. But the preaching of God's word was shaping the life of that church. I remember, if I may just real quickly, I remember visiting there just to preach. And they told me about the guy who had come before and he believes in elders. And we'll never have a pastor that believes in elders. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I didn't expect to go there, so God bless whoever. (laughs) Yeah. And I just taught. And the deacons were like, Pastor, the Bible says this. Why aren't we doing this? And so I was blessed to be with all of the challenges at a place where preaching was in season. And I have seen God's word work. Uh, How do you preach? Do you preach through books, sections of books, uh, series, Tell me how you strategize your preaching. My general strategy for preaching is that I will do a New Testament book, a series of expositions under some theme, say prayer, and then an Old Testament book, theme, New Testament book. So I'm in I'm in a cycle of Old Testament, theme, New Testament. I'm currently preaching through the book of Mark, which will take me a couple of more years. Mm-hmm. My wife insists she'll be an old lady by the time I finish Mark. <laughs> I, I'm preaching through Luke. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, no, I'm, I'm, but I'm trying to do it in two years, which mm-hmm. is a pretty fast clip. But sure. now you're taking longer than that for Mark. I am. I yeah. am. Well, uh, but you know what? The, that gets down to how good you are in the pulpit. Uh, guys ask me all the time, "How long can I preach? Or mm-hmm. How long can I?" do a series and the answer is as long as you can hold their attention you can sure, do it but absolutely. it gets down to that yeah uh so what does your sermon prep look like how do you how do you lay out your preparation how far in advance are you looking at a text and the week of your preaching what does it look like so i um i plan my preaching for a year and i part of the fall period of new year planning in our church's life is me laying out my preaching for the full calendar year. So I know where I am going. I, as a husband, father, pastor, and the other things I do, I cannot be wondering where I'm going from week to week. Right. I need to know. I, 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 then the Lord is free to change that. Um, but I, I need to know. I have to have a plan. However, I don't do the heavy exegesis until the week of. Mm-hmm. That weekly preparation is a part of God's sanctifying work in my life. So I, I don't know how pastors survive who do their thing all week and then steal something off the Internet over yeah. the weekend. 
Yeah. It's it's a part of God's sanctifying work. That's right. So I am spending the entire week. I I I, I start slow when where I'm reading, rereading, doing observations. Um, I'm starting this because there is still for me a recovery from the previous week. And then early part of the week, I am uh, meetings and those things, trying to spend that time there so that by Thursday, I'm doing heavy lifting. Thursday and Friday, I'm doing a heavy lifting for Sunday. I, I am picky over the manuscript, so I would like to say I'm done on Saturday, but I'm not done on Saturday. Do, you, do you fully manuscript the sermon? I I call myself a manuscript preacher who cheats. My goal each week, my goal for Sunday, is to write out a complete manuscript, word for word, that I will internalize enough by Sunday that I only have to take my Bible to the pulpit. Wow. Do you succeed in that? Do you typically go up there with no notes? Most weeks. I'm, I am not neurotic about it. If I need the whole thing, I would insist in preachers um, don't ever sacrifice um, clarity for style. So if I need it, um, I'm going to take the whole thing. Most times, if I feel uncertain about something, I'm going to take a half sheet of paper and I'm saying, okay, dude, whatever you need, you're only putting it on a half sheet. So it is forcing me to be in the pulpit, not chained to a manuscript. I think the greatest sin of a communicator is to fail to communicate. Yeah. And, and I want to be able to engage the congregation. I would say a, a trick of mine, if I may say it that way, is that really I just kind of want the, the progression of the text to be the roadmap of the sermon. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bunch of memorization. I mean, there's a detail of a quote or something like that or an illustration, but really the roadmap is the next verse. Right. <laughs> and if you've kind of done your work and structured the sermon around the, the progression and content and meaning of the text, uh, I feel like it simplifies that. Yeah, well, I've seen in your Instagram feed mm-hmm. you've taken pictures of, of notes you do. So, yep. like, and you sort of color-coded certain things there. Yep. Do you take that in the pulpit with you, or is that just for your study? That is just, just to for internalize my, That is my internalizing. I'm, I'm keeping that document. It's in my book back here. I'm keeping that document with me the whole week. So wherever I am, I have my wallet, my cell phone, and that document. Gotcha. <laughs> where I'm kind of just your, living your with Your roadmap. The, where I'm the, living with that text throughout yeah. the whole week. Uh, and... Uh, how long do you normally preach? I am allotted 40 minutes. I would say 40 minutes. No one, I guess, who lives with me thinks I preach 40 minutes. I'm probably 45 minutes <laughs> on average. Yeah, but again, you can preach as long as you can hold them. Yeah. You know, now when you have, mul- do you have multiple services? We do. So that keeps you on a clock it more does. than if mm-hmm. you just have one. Yeah, I have a hard stop. And, you know, uh, I, I had a pastor that came passing through town to visit with me. And he asked me about the consecutive exposition and those matters. And I, you know, I learned it sitting in the back of Grace Community Church in Southern California, listening to John MacArthur preach. Um, And one of the things, though, I said, you know, uh, Doc would 
spend maybe the first 20 or so minutes reviewing where he had been. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, this is great that this church is getting this kind of teaching. If I try to do this, I will empty my joint out back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I learned for me early, and, and at this point I recommend, I feel like it's not an issue about the series and how long the series is. Each sermon needs to be able to stand on its own. Yes. And if, the, if that is a self-contained message that speaks to the congregation right in front of you, that is not dependent upon you hearing the last three sermons to make sense of this one. Um, yeah. There is a sense in which this sermon is speaking to the congregation in front of you. That's right. I think you can sustain that preaching through a book. That's right. But you are doing both things. You're giving them the big picture, like like in Mark. What is Mark doing with this story? Absolutely. Why is this story here? Absolutely. Uh, but you're but you're not taking 20 minutes every week, like reviewing sure. everything. But you are putting it in the the grand story of Mark, right? You're putting it in the grand story, and I think the 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 knowing where this text sits into the progression of the argument. So I feel like context is significant, but the context should serve the text. That's right. It's just, why why does Mark tell the story of this young man who runs naked? Why is that there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. so it's not merely, you're not just preaching the story, but what the author's doing with it. Absolutely. And you you do that extremely well. What, What role does your wife have in your preaching? Do you... Talk to her about it before you preach it, after you preach it. it does she critique your sermons? Uh, talk to me about your relationship with your wife and your preaching. Yeah. So I talk to Crystal about everything. So. Your voice softens when you start talking about your <laughs> wife, man. I just see this yeah. sense of awe come yeah. over you. Um, the, the, the Lord has blessed me richly uh, in gifting me Crystal. I am talking to her about the message all week. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy the opportunities I get to preach away. Of course, my favorite place to preach is my own pulpit. Mm-hmm. It is the most challenging place to preach because my wife is sitting on the third row. And it just keeps me honest. Yeah. Um, she is going to ask me during the week where I am on the piece she's she has kept me from the time we were dating and i would ask her to go out with me on a friday night and she'd say where are you in your sermon really <laughs> that is the truth. why you're dating yeah she wanted you getting the work done before spending time with her absolutely so she i'm i'm preaching it to her all week what do you think about this this is where i'm going with this um and so she feels like she hears the sermon multiple times <laughs> before yeah. Sunday comes. And I am going to ask her after it is over, um, what does she think about the message? And those are, I don't know, I've been married over two decades now. They, they, are, they are critiques, but um, I just feel like she has a good, honest you, assessment. You, and I just appreciate it. It's not. And you trust her I instincts. trust her. I trust her instincts. And I think she can tell me. I think you. She recently told me. And I have not said this to my staff. Except a couple of people. So we went through a period um, where we were in between executive pastors. And so I am the default executive pastor. And I am in meetings all week. 
And I finished the sermon, and that evening I asked her about it after my nap. <laughs> and she said, there were great there were great points in there. She says, but but maybe I could tell you had not written that. She says, and there are many weeks. I can't tell if you wrote it or not. But it was obvious that you had not written that. And that as you were standing there, you were trying to talk your way clear as you were saying it. I don't know if anyone else would have known that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who would have just the freedom to just honestly talk to me about it. And it was a turning point. I, I just I, I, I went in the next elders meeting and said, I have to find me an executive That's right. pastor. That's right. Too many, meetings. <laughs> Too many meetings. Too many meetings. meetings. And I don't feel like that stung to hear that. It was just the truth. Yeah. And I needed it. And she um, she in she is God's gift to me in the sense that there are times where she knows where to be rough. Yeah. And there are times where she knows uh -oh. how to gently. I can tell give she it. and Tanya York would get along well. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, what a what a grace of God to give us wives like that. Absolutely. You have how many children? Three children. And their ages? Nineteen, seventeen, and eleven. Uh how's that going? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> My son is uh in college and I blame him for leaving me in the house with three women. So I have three people telling me what to do all the time, but it's a joy. <laughs> yeah. Well, praise the Lord, man. Uh, first of all, I I will just use the word, man. I'm a fan. <laughs> I, I love to hear you preach. I love you. I love your spirit. I love God's gifting in you. Yeah. Uh, you are you are such a blessing here at Southern Seminary. You're a trustee. Mm -hmm. uh, also, just what you bring to the Southern Baptist Convention, mm -hmm. HB. God has not only gifted you, he's given you a grace that you show others. You lead us in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to say thank you on a personal level. Yeah. I, I like to conclude each uh, each podcast with what I call the twinkling of an eye around. Just ask some quick questions and just get your quick response. Uh, will so there be a bell? There will not be a bell. <laughs> okay. you, you can take as long as you need, but just like to sort of know a little bit about you. Sure. Do you follow sports? I do. What? What what are your favorite sports or teams? I am a sports fan, so it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I just I love it. I am a I am a lifelong. I grew up in Los Angeles. I am a lifelong Dallas Cowboy fan. Really? I am now a Laker fan again. That LeBron James is there, and I am a New York Yankee fan, and I am an Alabama football fan, and a Duke basket. I guess I follow what? teams oh, that oh, win. Oh no. <laughs> No, uh, I was with you until the, the D word came out. Uh, well, and, you know, Kentuckians are now following the Lakers. Now that Anthony Davis is, is going uh -huh. there, we're all Lakers fans. Yep. You know, you're going to enjoy uh, Anthony Davis. Indeed. Uh, your favorite, uh, you have favorite secular authors? Any, any you read any secular authors? Not much or not consistently. Okay. Yep. Uh, favorite kind of music other than gospel? I am outside of gospel Christian music, kind of like eighties, nineties, seventies R and B. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love it. That's yeah, kind of what I grew up around when my father was not around. What uh, translation do you preach out of? The English Standard Version. 
Well, uh, and uh, finally, if you and your if you could take your wife anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would it be? We have been talking about going to Paris, and it hasn't happened yet, but I trust it's going to happen soon. That's where we would go. Well, I know this isn't what you meant, but we have a Paris, Kentucky. If you can't make it across the ocean, <laughs> you come. Bring I want to cross Paris, some Kentucky. water to get to oh, the Paris okay. I'm talking about. <laughs> well, HB, it's a joy to have you yeah. as a friend, as a guest on Pastor Well. Thank you so very, very much. I appreciate you immensely. Thanks for having me. It's a joy. Well, uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Pastor Well. If you've not yet subscribed, make sure you do on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I look forward to seeing you next time on Pastor Well.